So, Dr. Kuntz, I, I know this is a curveball this week. You've, it, normally, I throw you one you're expecting, right? But is the world flat? Because <laughs> um, you've given me, you've given me why some guy I don't know is wrong. Yeah. You've given me about why Mark Twain understands the way Genesis views cosmology more than most modern people. Uh, yeah. But, but then, okay, let, let's let's take a little further here. Like, okay. like, how would I know? Like, here's my problem. Here's my problem. Right. I, I don't care. I really don't care. Yeah. But for the sake of like the philosophical problem of me believing what people tell me, and that's the only way I generally know much, right. except for the few things I can read, which is still me believing people telling me stuff. And there's the very limited stuff I can actually do of right. which circumnavigating the globule space planet we live on ain't one. And you can be like, oh, well, there's pictures. Okay, CGI. I mean, really, I grew up in this now. Uh, how do yeah. I know I'm not in the Matrix? I don't. I do. I do. But this is the argument, right? Like, yeah. how would I know? Yeah. How yeah. would I know? And so the how way, can I be so arrogant about saying the otherwise, really? The way that you would know is that the ancient Greeks, who also didn't believe pictures since they you know, didn't have them, uh, <laughs> believed that the Earth was round by and large simply as like a, a mathematical necessity to explain differences of climate that they had observed in various people's travels, which is, which is one of the benefits of Herodotus, as, as insane as he sometimes is. So I'm going to so, this Herodotus. Herodotus. Yeah, that's go. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they they came to it mathematically, and so that so the stars had to do a little bit with it. Then was, was that astronomy the stars part of also it? had to do with yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that 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 is a better way of thinking about the 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 size of the Earth as well as its shape than you know worrying too much about how much some three letter agency may or may not be lying to you. So it's like a woke particle of my it is a, a specter of my woke indoctrination as a child that i somehow import like the unscientific rage of the roman catholic church at galileo onto yeah, totally. yeah. the flat earth okay. round earth argument yep yep right yep 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 yeah huh. yeah and and the issue <laughs> some of the issues with galileo had to do with knowledge source as well as Right. That is that because because some because many of these things preceding him had been discovered by Lutherans. Right. That's and, what I heard is the Lutherans actually like, got in touch with him or like, hey, dude, come work with us and stuff. Yeah. He was suspect in a personal way. That's not really a defense of the Roman Catholic Church, but it is to say that the way that you learned it was wrong. And it's interesting that a lot I think a lot of the modern mythology about Galileo is actually comes from a straightforwardly communist German Bertolt Brecht, who wrote an entire play about Galileo, pitting it as religion versus science. So I think that in the case of Galileo, you're dealing, you're dealing with a certain retelling of Western history in which even a figure sometimes like Luther is meant to be like the father of well, that's just it. This Liberty. was the point about Herodotus yeah. last time is that it just, it does always get a certain spin of flavor <laughs> and not that, yeah, not, not that Galileo is my my easiest in into like a true crime statistics in uh, modern American <laughs> collapse in societies. Yeah, but it does kind of get us there. Although I got, let me throw this at you real fast, just as I wrote sure. it down, so I don't have to ask you the same question next time. Okay, you promise. I, I've sir. never thought this through, but would the rainbow be able to show us that the world's round because it shows us the curved sky? <laughs> I mean, 
Maybe, but the rainbow exists in so many cultures is, that believe the yeah, world is flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. It's but not, math, it's math not wise, if you study the rainbow, what do you find? I wonder. I wonder. Anyway, crime. That's yeah. it. That's what we're about. Crime. <laughs> Here on a brief, brief history of power, two white guys, Dr. Adam Kuntz, we're picking up from the problem of rising crime that the government doesn't care about, right? As opposed to crime the government's dealing with, where right. we're dealing with societies, you know you're collapsing because the streets are not safe and no one plans to make them safe, except maybe the local guy down the street, his name is like Big Jim or something. And like, you got to pay him too and stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I, I, I think that the the bridge the the rainbow from flat world to crime statistics is that in brazil you get a discrepancy between crime statistics as reported by various police agencies and crime statistics as reported by health agencies so we're not usually big fans of public health agencies here on a brief history of power but in this case we are because in the case of brazil they're often more honest about the crime rate because when you're dealing with statistics and to return to one of our favorite Americans, Mark Twain, you know, there are lies, damn lies. And then there are statistics. Right. Is is that when you're getting a statistic, especially from a government agency or very often in Anglo America, you're you're getting a, a quasi government agency like the National Bureau of Economic Research. You always want to figure out. I mean, learning sort of basic statistics is incredibly valuable for thinking about Informa- public information and how information is presented because in Brazil, your statistics are usually going to be lowballed by a police agency because everyone understands how absurdly high the statistics are. So Brazil has roughly a fifth of the population of the United States, but it has absolutely, most years, absolutely more murders. So, so if you can imagine how absurdly high that crime rate is. It's not uniform across every city and every province, but it's way higher nationally as an absolute number, not just as a rate, as an absolute number than the United States. So you're dealing, you're dealing in the case of Brazil with rates, especially of violent crime, but of crime of all kinds across the country that are ridiculously high. Makes me think of, uh, the Wire, another TV show I wasted time watching, which I'm told Obama spent a lot of time watching it too. The police in Baltimore yeah. were so aware of how broken it all was. Yeah. So right. the whole story is about how all of them know it's, this is just a show. This yeah. is just get the numbers, clean up the paperwork. I don't care how. We just keep the ball rolling. And, you know, these, these various characters trying to deal with, they're all alcoholics, of course. And, and it's exactly what you're talking about, though, um, where the streets were such that uh, it, it's it's irrecoverable. And the system stops caring. The men within the system stop caring. Or they got jaded to it themselves uh, yeah. and whatnot. And so, I don't know, where to from there? Well, one of the differences, if you look at, we talked last time about parallels, one of the parallels that Brazil has with, especially like say California right now, but perhaps increasingly much of the United States is astronomical differences of income between social classes. That's actually, there is an economic measure of that called a Gini coefficient, G-I-N-I. You can look those up and that's a, 
there are lots of things that go into that index, but it's it's a really helpful index for understanding sort of social and thus also political conditions in a country. That That is such a high number in the case of Brazil that what you're dealing with is that police don't actually exist for the entirety of the population. And from how we talked last time about favelas, you can see that that really hasn't been the case for all Brazilians, maybe ever. And maybe it's never entirely been the case for everybody in the United States, but that's certainly the pretense is that the police exist to enforce the laws, which don't really differ substantially for anybody. That's the idea. That's generally what we mean, I guess, even absent the existence of a police force by a government of laws and not of men. You're not really dealing with that. And you're really kind of openly not dealing with that in the case where this place is actually governed by this syndicate. This place is governed. This place is actually protected by the police. This place is not. I think you see that increasingly in the United States. You've just seen it for a long time, a much longer time in Brazil. In addition to at least one more thing that is increasingly common in the United States, and it's been common in Brazil and and probably the world's other like highest crime, but still sort of a developed or developing at least country, which is South Africa, where houses are much more, let's say, fortified in Brazil or South Africa than they are generally in the United States. But I would expect the United States to follow Brazil or South Africa rather than Brazil or South Africa following us. Right. Yeah. You don't take down that nice stone wall with the courtyard inside of it very quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, because you get these really kind of horrible stories in the United States, really very sad, but obviously reflecting building codes built for a different society. So the sad stories will be, and I mean, if you want to Google this, you can Google it, but you're going to get really sad. You could Google like died stray bullet and you're going to get stories largely about like black toddlers at parties in uh, in a in a city in the united states but you'll also get even stranger stories where someone's like sitting in his living room and gets shot in the head and the reason that's happening is because not only is his home not like fortified but it's like right next to another home that has similarly thin walls because we're all just supposed to like trust each other and people are going to get along. Right. 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 And then someone is doing something insane next door and the guy gets shot. So that's sort of like (laughs) that, that random element, which isn't even generally what we mean by like violent crime, which is another scary element of randomness. Those things I think are only going to go up because Brazil has been like that much longer, maybe always, The idea that if you have enough money, what you're going to do is essentially build like a small fortress or you're going to be inside a small fortress with other people that are also like vetted. Yeah. So the strong man emerges as a group leader because he must. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a it's kind of a it's a level up from gated community, Mm -hmm. because if you want to get into a gated community, I mean. I once had a prospective church member, they they didn't end up joining. (laughs) In a gated community, these houses were enormous houses. And in that area, they probably cost 600,000 or more dollars, which right, right. is a lot of money, I guess, unless you live in California or something. So right. a lot of money. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I go and I go visit, right? And I'm thinking it's a gated community and I can't remember their house number. 
<laughs> but I say I, I go to the gate and they don't know who I am and I'm not wearing a collar or whatever. So who, who knows who I am? I get the TSA thinks I could be a terrorist. But I say, you know, I want to go visit these people's houses. Right. And so the guy at the gate says, hey, uh, you know, who are you? I'm like, well, I'm here to see uh, Dave. And he's like, oh, OK. Yeah, just let you in. Wait, right? right in. That's not really what we're talking about here. You know, you, you need more than that if you're going to accept that inside your country and within easy driving distance of you is a place that is completely dysfunctional in every sense. So the idea that, that we would continue to even have quote gated communities that are that easy to get into, I, I don't think is going to be the case. What I'm thinking about is the security that is a show of security, which is what that right. was. Yeah. Right. Where was that guy going to do? And how much that's actually what I think when I look at, honestly, even cops, not all. There's a yeah. lot of cops. I'm like, yeah. I'm glad that guy's a cop. Yeah, but there's somewhere I'm like, what's that guy going to do? What's that girl going to do? I mean, really, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What is that girl going to do? They could yeah. shoot. All right. But we're talking here again about barbarian groups of roving men who have no scruples and care only about food and sex. And I mean, that's, that is what it comes down to when man gets violent and, and tribal. And yeah, what, what, what is this show of security going to do at the same time? I mean, how buying your gun for your home and then accidentally shooting your neighbor in the head is a good way to get them to take the guns away again. I, I, goodness gracious, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that the reason, the reason that Aguirre mentioned in that, that book about Argentina, that the, the recession proof job was security guard is because there there is a ton of life that relies especially in a historically not very violent place relies on trust and easy exchange of money and goods and some degree of politeness and mutual understanding when those things don't exist or or, or are only unreliably in existence then at least the threat of physical force becomes a lot more important for getting through daily life. So it does make more sense the more that you dig into, okay, what is it like to live here or live there or under these circumstances that he would say, hey, you know, before you think about, you know, learning how to be a plumber, you know, can you stand somewhere and push somebody around and carry a gun? Because well, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, like my own journey with this is go figure, I guess, largely biblical. That is coming to terms with the fact that everyone who wrote the Bible lived in a violent, scary world that I have not yet experienced and that their views of moral, which I mm -hmm. want to appropriate for myself, um, mm -hmm. come with certain expectations of my neighbor and the violence of the world around me and what life looks like that, again, I've, I've tied more of what America has just given to what maybe, say, my religion promises the earth is going to have. And and then so pushing this back again into say a a post New Testament world for me for a moment is to kind of continue my metaphor. Um, mm -hmm. If you're a a Bedouin, if you're a, a Jew, if you're a, an Arab living in desert areas, and you have a couple of sheep, a wife, and three daughters, you're gonna learn how to fight. You're going to learn how to fight because you're going to probably have to, and that. Jesus' admonition to turn the other cheek doesn't mean let them rape your women and take your sheep. Uh, to be a good king, to be a good father, 
to be a good leader means protect. And it's been right. nice that we've had a lot of Christians working together so we could like not have to do it on our neighborhood shores. But most people don't believe in that stuff anymore. So, well, here we are. Hmm? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the idea that the idea that you can have a society in which people will say the phrase like people are just people is really I think one of the most basic forms of absurdity because the thing that you observe time and time and time and time and time again is that in circumstances in which men are weak, you inevitably get any number of forms of human tyranny, right? So the issue is not so much that that women need to be liberated or that everyone needs to just get along or that imagine there's no religion and no heaven too. The issue is that when men behave in ways that are weak, all manner of chaos unleashes itself upon that society. And by that, I don't just mean like a sort of like a machismo, like how do you carry yourself? Because that's going to vary according to the society, let alone the guy's personality. But that when men are not functioning in those, let's say, naturally protective roles within a family or within a place then what's going to happen is not that those roles will go away, but that they will be supplanted. And we talked about that. I think we've mentioned this with single motherhood before is the idea. Single motherhood is not actually real. It is just a surrogate father in the form of the state rather than a specific man that lives with you. So there, there's always going to be a provider. That provider may have, you know, a different tax identification number. Yeah, you know, and it's through an there is inevitably a very good social worker who listens to this listens to this show so i'm not trying to speak to everyone in general in the class however considering the metaphor again you just used of the person who comes for the state being the father of that family is yeah. interesting that it is usually sort of a closer level wife to the state someone else married to the state at a higher level who then you get to interface with so it's quite a bit like being in a harem quite a bit at the end of it yuck yeah yeah, yeah. And so what you can see in the case of a like a social structure, we talked about the favelas last time, but I think, you know, this time we'll talk a little bit more broadly about Brazil. And you can see at any time that you have an extremely chaotic social situation, political situation, is that you really cannot actually do without some form of fatherhood. That is someone who contains both fearful things and also protective things in himself and can this dole out both fear and rightfully so and also protection and rightfully so right so if you have strong men then strong men are going to create certain forms of social organization around them this is where when we're talking about the politics of nature i've talked about the environment i talked last time about scarcity but in terms of human beings and the functioning of human groups, I, I really think that fathers and father figures within groups are in this sense really unavoidable because I, I can't actually, I mean, what, what, are the, what are the police doing? What are the police doing that, let's say local men did not do in a place prior to mass urbanization in the West? Nothing, nothing. I mean, they're enforcing public order. Right. I mean, the, they are a relic of the sheriff, right? 
and the sheriff is just one guy who we all pay to do it, so we all didn't have to do it. Uh, yeah, and we trust yeah, him. And the, he's good at it. Yeah, and the sheriff did not always have a uniform, and he didn't always have uniform deputies who get a paycheck from him. No. But the idea that there was public order Correct. is a given. The question is, who is going to do that? And if the fathers don't step up to do it, right, right. well, a different father will, and the father of a different tribe running your tribe's called slavery. Seriously. So I want to... You want to get to this guy, uh I want to talk Bolsonaro, about Bolsonaro, because right? I find yeah. him fascinating. Yeah, 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 I find him totally fascinating. Bolsonaro, Jair Bolsonaro, is the current president of Brazil. So can we call him the father of Brazil? I think he he's able to be in a way that... I think he's got like five kids, so that's... That's a lot for a modern person. As a um, modern president, for sure. Modern president. For, yeah. Have we? Yeah. I don't know if we've talked. I know we've talked on the on the Discord about childlessness as characteristic of the modern Western politician. But Bolsonaro is a product of sort of a different time. And that's important. He was born about, I think, nine years prior to the military dictatorship coming into power in 64 but he goes to school at Brazil's military academy and then serves in artillery and parachute regiments in the Brazilian army under the military dictatorship. He gets out in the mid eighties, just about the time that Brazil is. If you read kind of any of the mainstream original English stuff, which is all very anti-Bolsonaro in a way that you're familiar with from Trump, he gets out just about the time that Brazil, quote, returns to democracy. What that really is, is that in the mid 80s, Brazil returns to being openly governed by leftists. That's the difference. Under the, quote, military dictatorship, Brazil is governed in a way that is fairly economically liberal, but very socially conservative, similar to Chile under Pinochet. And so... Bolsonaro's career begins to end about the time that this rightward shift in Brazilian history also begins to end and Brazil returns to being a sort of standard in its politics, but unusual in its impact, leftist South American country. And he gets into trouble to begin with because he writes a public article about how military officers are not uh, actually being paid anything like what they should be being paid for what they do. So that's how he comes to public attention. What By making the complaint. Yeah, yeah. But the, the complaint has political ramifications about the Brazilian left and the the rising power of the left in Brazil. And, and so that's kind of the, that's the deeper significance of the thing. It's not just sort of a bureaucratic, like, I didn't, you know, my paycheck was, you know, right, right, right. was wrong. Yeah. So I, I guess I, the most I can really add to this is is some 80s growing up history wherein somewhere, and I don't know if this was in my grade school geography book or if the you know, social studies, I guess they would have been calling it by then, uh, or if this was sometime in high school. But I remember very clearly the textbook painting the picture of the post 1980s Brazil as thank God they got it back to whatever is going to be more like America. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and, and now you're telling me. But the textbook is, again, uh, writing history as fiction for fun. Yeah, right. Because Brazil is actually more like, let's say, 1980s America before it begins to, again, be governed by open leftists. <laughs> right. That's what I was saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, like they, yeah, it's, it's the exact opposite of what they were saying. It is the exact opposite. Yeah. And so, 
So, but his complaint then in this, sorry, I'm I'm interrupting a little bit, but to try to make sure I'm following you, his complaint in this is that as a person within the military who grows up in a, well, again, a right leaning system, although very free economically now Mm -hmm. uh, in a post move back to uh, the leftist, everything sees an economic problem and rises to the fore as a political advocate and eventually I'm going to assume solver of this economic problem. Yeah, well, he's he's going to try to present himself that way and that's going to be what what happens after he gets out of at least active duty military is that he becomes first a city councilor in Rio de Janeiro and then later and for a very long time I want to say 23 years, maybe, he is a congressman. Brazil's Congress is actually larger than the American Congress. I think they have 500 some deputies, whereas we only have 435. They call it a house? Uh, I believe they do. Yeah. And so he's there for a long time. He's in a variety of political affiliations because I, I understand historically why we have the electoral system that we do. But it's not set up to deal with ideological conflict like we talked about. It's it's a two-party system is much better set up to deal with sectional conflict. And then you have different ideologies inside the parties that have different sectional alignments because the real deal and the thing you actually care about is your section of the country. Two-party system actually doesn't work that bad for those purposes. For ideological conflict, such as Brazil openly has and has had, and such as we now have, the multitude of parties is a lot better for making sure that you actually are voting for what you're voting for in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in a way. And so he belongs to a variety of different sort of right and center-right parties. Something that is openly on the table in Brazilian politics, and this actually has only amped up with the rise of various forms of Protestantism in Brazil, is saying that Brazil is, is in some sense a Christian nation, hmm. okay? That that Brazil is governed for the sake and, and under the guidance of Christ, and that therefore you are you cannot contravene God's will in politics. That that's that's why we oppose homosexuality. That's why we oppose abortion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, by the time Bolsonaro runs for president in 2018, and to some people's surprise, wins. Not our surprise because he runs basically against crime and corruption. And I can do a little more background if you want to, but we have other things we can talk about. When he finally runs for president, though, he says, Brazil before all others, God above everyone. That That is his, <laughs> it's a little more robust than make America great again. <laughs> and so- Hey, hey, well, you know what though? Yeah. Hey, it was huge. It was huge. There's no question. Yeah. It, it, yeah, no, be it, huge. Was. it was huge. So- yeah. He, he, he paid, I'm, I'm just trying to advocate for their side, Adam. Give me a break here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, make, make America great again was fine. I, I like, I like Bolsonaro's slogan a little better. I mean, well, I'm, with slogan, but, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I was trying to make a joke off his own language. I just didn't do it very well. So oh, there we go. Um, no, I didn't. You caught me. I was too slow. No, I was too <laughs> slow. I didn't catch anything. Well, um, but, but he's, so he, and he's interested. What's interesting politically here is Brazil, especially the right in Brazil is very, much supported by Protestants who are who are evangelicals. They're not like kind of milk toast. Uh, Isn't it largely Pentecostal now? A lot of them are Pentecostal. Some are, are sort of like Southern Baptists. I'm not sure how the Lutherans in the in the far south vote. 
I would imagine, though, they're going to be more conservative, um, mm. just like they are in America, where they kind of don't say anything but vote in a very right wing way. So what's interesting about Bolsonaro is uh, nominally he's still Roman Catholic, but he hangs out with Baptists. A couple of his kids have become evangelical. His wife is evangelical. So it's it's an interesting. So it's kind a little like if Billy time. Graham ran for president, kinda. Um, no, it, it's as if John F. Kennedy had acted like Billy Graham was his best friend. That would ah, be ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. But Bolsonaro, maybe one more thing to to say about him, in addition to just kind of events that have happened, which very much parallel Trump, is that he is somebody that has a completely different interpretation of his country's past than his opponents do. So he has spoken in favor of what is going to be called by basically everybody, the military dictatorship, everybody in English, who's going to know or care about Brazil in English, the military dictatorship, evil. They were killing people. They were torturing people. Okay. Bolsonaro is going to say that was the salvation of Brazil. That's the reason that we are not a complete mess today. And we should celebrate the anniversary of the coup d'etat in 1964 as a day of national rejoicing. Yeah. Is there a reason year. you compared this? Like you, you went one to one. Well, I guess it's one and a half to one with uh, Argentina. So you put them beside each other and his claims starts to make a little sense. Yeah, because I think something you can see here is that if you oppose the left, you will be discussed in trans-historical ways as evil. You won't get specifics. So you may know everything about your own country's history. You may know all the ins and outs of Peronism in Argentina or all the ins and outs of the Brazilian economic miracle, which was indeed in many ways an enormous change in Brazilian life, which only happened under the military dictatorship. You may know everything about American history it really doesn't matter if you are branded as an enemy of whatever coalition of groups, interest groups that the left in that country has cobbled together. Mm -hmm. And this is why the expansion of the left into new places and new groups is so important because they're not talking about things, generally speaking, that actually are organically true. Okay. Even in something where I'm vaguely sympathetic to claims about the environment or oppression of the poor, okay? And I'm vaguely sympathetic because I believe God made the world, so I can't just do whatever I want to it. And you shouldn't abuse poor people because they're easily abused because they're vulnerable, right? I think that's also in the Bible. Even where I'm vaguely sympathetic, the way that they talk about those things is completely artificial. Well, the real problem is cow farts and people eating meat. So, you know, you can't have internal combustion engines anymore. Or the real problem is not that you need to like accept responsibility for your life. It's that you need universal basic income. So the left, I think, is built, as I said in the last episode, on magical thinking. And so Bolsonaro knows a lot about a country he's lived in his whole life and things that he's lived through and a military he was actually in. And he knows about crime because he's from the home of the favela. He's not from a favela, but he's from the city where the thing was invented. Okay. Hmm. And so he has on the ground experience of crime. And there are things to be said about this in connection with 
American cities that uh, I'm not entirely sure the audience is like ready to to handle. But oh, I will talk on, about Dr. that sometime. So, uh, what are we not no, ready I'm, to handle? I'm completely no, I'm completely serious because there's a lot of stuff about crime rates and quote white flight that a lot of people, unless you grew up, let's say in a neighborhood in Brooklyn in the 1950s, just are unaware of. Bolsonaro is an example of somebody who is very personally aware of crime. In fact, when he was campaigning for president in September 2018, he was stabbed in public wow. by a guy. Survived it, okay? Because he's just kind of an animal. But he is very well aware on the ground of the prevalence and the intensity of crime in everyday life. And one of the things that he not only talks about, but has actually sought to do in his presidency, it hasn't been that long, only a couple of years, is to suppress crime. Now, Brazil has a federal structure a lot like the United States, so he can't just he can't just like do that or something as president, but he can do some things. And even his predecessor, uh, Temer, tried to suppress crime directly using federal police. Hmm. So these efforts at going against crime, just, just stopping crime from occurring in a given place, are inevitably going to be popular. They're even going to be popular with groups and people that don't normally vote for the right. However, the way that they're stopped is universally the same. And this is why I started with Argentina, but we've constantly been drawing parallels because I see this growing in the United States as well, right? Because what you can do at this point is you can say, you know, hey, you know, your problem is not that you don't recognize crime. We're just not going to talk about that. Your problem is that you're racist. And so now you have to explain how you're not racist. And, and some people are never going to believe you no matter what you say. So that and, brings up a video you sent me. Kelly. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? The, are you, talking, uh, are you so, talking about the Canadian gym, bro? No, I'm talking about the security oh. guard at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah? You want to just take that one? Yeah, sure. Golly. Yeah. So this is, um, I don't know why they just don't have, I mean, we have students here, but Fort Wayne doesn't have a crime rate, anything like St. Louis. Some student security guard is like telling kids to leave the campus, I guess. That's about right. It's dark. I don't know why they're there either. I mean, I live on campus at Fort Wayne, so I support security guards telling people that don't live there and don't have any business there to not be there. I'm fine with that as somebody who lives in the neighborhood. And uh, what happened with this poor guy, I don't know who he is, but my heart goes out to him. Yeah. He's free to email us. What happened to this poor guy was this video of him talking to, unfortunately, a protected class, uh, Black Americans, and he's white and telling them to leave is that he gets called a racist. And what he begins to have to do is to convince them that he's not racist. And see, since that conflicts with their desire to just remain on the campus, I don't know what they're doing there. Maybe it was legitimate. Maybe it wasn't. He asked them to leave. I mean, if a security guard asked me to leave, dude, I would just leave. Dude, anyway. the sharks smell blood. Yeah, they, right. They, so, they, they cut his, they cut his yeah. little pinky and he started bleeding. As soon as he was bleeding, like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And they yeah, tore got into him. him. They tore we him. We got him. We got him, you know, because uh, we got him. He's, he's white and we called him racist. This is how so they that, taught us to bully. Yeah, this is the magic <laughs> word. So the thing about somebody like Bolsonaro is that he doesn't give in. The thing about this incident at St. Louis was that... And I don't, I mean, I don't know what happened to the guy after the camera got turned off. The camera's magic. I mean, the camera, 
the FBI doesn't have to do the work because we'll do it for them. The camera enforces uh, the moral law. He gets relieved from his job. There's like an apology or something on the internet by the seminary or something. I think it was on Facebook. And, um, you know, so you don't even get defended by your own people. What is, I think, politically totally tone deaf about that is that in the national examples of not only Trump, and there's a reason I didn't just do Trump or just do crime in the U.S. first. I'm doing Latin America because people don't know what to think about it to start with, right, generally. Some of our listeners, like, know all this stuff, but most of them don't, guessing, is because something people like about Bolsonaro is not just that when he like says hi to people, he'll do like, you know, like gun, he'll make guns with his hands. Cause he's like a, he's kind of like a cool eighties dude in some ways <laughs> is his persona. He doesn't back down and he just says what he thinks. Yeah. He just says what he thinks. And he's, he's actually mostly of Italian descent, partly German, but mostly Italian. And he's got that sort of brashness <laughs> that, and he's funny. Okay. Uh, but the media does the exact same thing with him that, that, that they do with Trump in the United States, where they'll take literally things that are meant to just be brash jokes. Hmm. And then they'll say, look what he said. And you know, so the, the English language Wikipedia article, for example, is mostly just like point at something he said, or put it in a, in a footnote. And here's a, here's a nasty thing we can say about him. That's most of the article. Some of it is factual. Most of it is just Look at what a horrible person he is. I'm curious about his campaign for re-election, but first I want to get back to the incident that hits closer to uh, our, you know, one of our home seminaries. Mm -hmm. And there are two things that happened when I saw that video. First was I thought, dear heavens, I hope that guy gets to be a pastor after all. I mean, obviously, yeah, right. Wants him to wash out, but like, what a horrible way to lose your dream. My gosh, just strip from you. As you're doing, right. you know, you're trying to work your way. That means he, he's working security. He's got kids. I mean, it's just. Yeah. So, so that's one thing. But then the other side is, okay, so the message that that then sent through the entire community, one half of our church body's future pastors is bus throwing is allowed. Push them under and stay on top yourself. And that yeah. culture from the leadership, let me just say it's maybe not new. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe it's it's been floating in the air and maybe it's part of, again, a grander stream of civilization that we've just uh, let teach us how to interact with each other and how to, well, how to not protect each other. Mm. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's also like, look, if you learn nothing else from Bolsonaro, let's say, let's not even say Trump. If you learn nothing else, it is that the way to survive in a hostile environment is not by destroying your own side for for the sake of the other side and the other side here is not necessarily these kids that are on the campus late at night the other side here are the people who want to enforce an alien moral standard in which whites are immediately guilty of anything potentially as soon as they are accused which is not in line with that group's own moral standard which is ostensibly the bible so if you're going to do that, you just aren't going to make it. You're not going to make it because you're going to shoot your own people 
for the for your for enemies. Them. They for won't them. even have to bother right. coming around. You'll do it right. for them. Right. Let's remove the security guard and see how much better it gets. Which again yeah. goes back to your your how much was this guy actually a security guard? So I'm thinking about the video again. There's four of these kids. And like, what could be said, you know, that you're a racist, like the moment you hear that, if, if I have some sort of real cop in me, I think the real answer is you're under arrest for trespassing and just nothing else comes out of my mouth. However, what's this one white guy with no cuffs and no nothing going to do against four teens? I mean, it's not security. That's my point. Right. It's not security. You just put this guy in a bad spot, actually. You did. You did. You did. And, um, and then you put him in a worse spot. Right. Because now he has to face moral opprobrium from a group where, what the group thinks of you is highly important. Oh, I mean, yeah. the, the Amish don't do this to each other. They don't do this to each other, even when someone objectively commits something morally heinous. They will hand pedophiles over to the law. Okay, pedophiles, not just a person walking around being white. They will hand pedophiles over to the law, but they don't morally display for the law how evil they all are and what steps they're taking to correct everything, even though I'm sure they do obviously in that case but they don't tell everyone how amazing they are and how eager they are to placate everyone else's sense of what's right and wrong right i mean it's it's just it's nuts if you're interested in survival if you're interested in compliance it makes all kinds of sense well i mean to be fair the traumatized mind does tend to survive by compliance uh freeze fawn these are the kinds of behaviors of the person Mm -hmm. that does not believe they have any hope Mm. yeah yeah no that's true and i i think that is why people like bolsonaro bother the media so much i was gonna say hey journalists huh sorry (laughs) speaking of people without hope journalists sorry guys yeah go yeah well no i mean i in some ways it's more productive to think of journalism as like a function of a like a certain kind of psychological dysfunction at this point than anything else, because it's just, it's just enforcement. It's, it's enforcement in a, in, in a society so demasculinized that all you have to do is say mean things about people and they'll do what you want. And so they hate it when there is a single public figure, much less the president of a populous nation who isn't behaving that way. It, It bothers them because they can't entirely control what he's doing. That makes me think of trauma all the more. Trauma always leads toward a need to perfect, to prevent uh, a future reenactment. But those those things that you do to prevent tend to actually yeah. create the reenactment because you're trying to escape something that's inside. And you can't admit mm. that because that would make mm-hmm. you face your actual trauma and you don't want to do everything's about avoiding that. Goodness gracious. So are you really claiming, Dr. Coons, that all journalists need to be put into institutions that are not schools, but for their own good, locked up, soft pill, soft? No, wall, you know, that? I don't have to claim that because I think we're already living in the institution. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, yeah. Go yeah. with that and run with that one. So, yeah. Well, because we're living in the institution. We're living in a place in which down is up and, and up is down and black is white and white is black. So they don't have to put us somewhere else. Like this is sort of like when we were talking about re-education camps and how they already exist and our 501c3 entities. Um, right, and they got great sports teams. Yeah, right, exactly. So, so they don't, yeah. The casino that, we're, of already, we're already in the camps. The casino of imagination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe the casino is more imaginary and the and the the asylum is is more the reality. And there's just like one nice room that has gold lame wallpaper or something. And, the, and that's the casino. 
We wanted to go into journalism because of its nexus with crime. That is that there is a yeah. relationship between journalism and crime that we really haven't explored yet. So let's, let's hit that if we can. Yeah. And that, that has to do with really what is covered and how. So if you can dispute the idea that, you know, there's any form of government that's just completely disconnected from organized crime. I, and I, I think you could easily dispute that. Nonetheless, something that you have to think about is what do they put, you know, inside the frame and what do you just never get to see, you know? So when they're shooting a movie, you know, you don't, you don't see like the guy that's like bringing coffee onto the set because that's not in the movie and who cares that he was doing that that day, right? You're not going to get to see certain things. So right now, you know, there is not wall-to-wall coverage on our media of the inflation in all kinds of commodities and durable goods right you know right, there might yeah. be some mention but it's still largely covid vaccines and racism similarly in brazil coronavirus coverage has largely been about the <laughs> the assertions and, and sometimes uh hilarious off-the-cuff comments of bolsonaro not evaluating the let's say cogency of his critiques right along the way that people have been overreacting and that this will be destructive of lots of things. This will destroy jobs. Brazil took a lot longer to recover from 2008 than a lot of other places of similar development levels. So they're in a weaker economic position than we were going into 2020. And so- So the overreaction is to COVID you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So he's saying, you know, we're, we're, we're overreacting to COVID and like the American president, he doesn't actually have control over, you know, mask mandates or vaccination and Brazil, because the leftism is just a lot more open in Brazil, things like mandatory vaccination can be approved by the Brazilian Supreme court, which I, I still think at this point right now, I can't really imagine that in the United States right now. I can imagine in the future. I can't imagine it right now in the United States. So you're dealing with a threat to liberty, which is much more open and things like gun laws or articulations of personal freedom, which are much more constricted, even to some extent nationwide in Brazil. So So you'd have to, yeah, go ahead. The mandatory vaccinations in Brazil are Mm -hmm. taking place now? I don't know that for a fact. I know about the Supreme Court ruling. I don't know how that's been implemented. But they did rule that they are allowable. That they are that they are permissible. That's very well, ki- very kind of the of the high priests to uh, allow. <laughs> Even the well, the idea of property. I mean, according to Brazil's quote democratic inst- uh, constitution from 1988, property. Even your right to property is contingent upon some articulation of public good. It's not just yours because it's yours. This is this is where like we were talking about. Now I don't know if it was last hour or this hour about being from Appalachia and wearing a mask, and you're like, "I just won't do it because that's just not me." Like, yeah, right. And, and I'm exactly. like, I'm from like Midwestern transplant West Coast. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I'm a nice person, and they ask. So I'll put it <laughs> yeah, on. right. They ask. But you want to put something in my friggin' body? No. No, you yeah. cannot stick it in my body. I'll get Appalachia on it real fast. Go shoot there me. Go. Yeah. Shoot me. Well, yeah, and Appalachia is not is not it's not like there's no history there, right? You're you're talking about people groups who, because of their historical experiences, are extremely distrustful of and find authority to be useless. <laughs> my middle that's, name is McAdam, dude. Hilltop yeah, so Scotland. 
So that's happening to lots and lots of people yes. in a way that it hasn't before. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yep. And, and all right. And, and so the good news out of that little rant um, for me is that you do not foresee vaccination in the present. Of course, since we don't trust in princes, we know you could be wrong. But where do we where do we then go again watching yeah. something like Brazil, watching yeah. Argentina, knowing that we've got this particular problem with journalism, crime, uh, coming in the last episode, statistics. Really, the question is, as, as you said, the what and how of coverage or yeah. the what and how of what you know and how you know it. This would be what in a, in a philosophy class you call epistemology, right? And yeah. people have assumed the epistemology of listen to whatever seems interesting on the show. Right. And, and we have to develop new epistemologies for how and what we know about everything. Right. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think you have to remake yeah. a ruler or nothing, but yeah. So I think there's kind of like two directions to take this as we wrap up. And, and one is that to the extent that anything like a democratic process continues to function in our country with like, and by that, I simply mean that elections are ostensibly taking place. Okay, that's that's all I mean, is that the the things on offer will continue to change. And I don't see something like Bolsonaro or someone like Bolsonaro or something like Trumpism and, and even to some extent Trump personally, at least for the next cycle of national elections going away. I see it increasing because there is a certain form of what journalists call far right and that they always use far right in order to kind of their far right now means like men can't get pregnant. Right. So that's going to be a moving target. But the point of far right is it's okay to be right wing because we understand some demographic will be don't be far right. So Bolsonaro is far right. And there's going to be some version of that. And there, there are people like that in American politics, just generally not on a national level. And it's very embryonic and, it, and it's and it's shifting. But that's that's really where like a Ron DeSantis figure is coming in currently as governor of Florida. I'm sure he's going to try for other things. And it is a it's both a style, but it's also a set of policies and an agenda. Right. So like I've mentioned before, Trump really puts immigration back on the agenda in a way that it had not been since the early 90s, to be honest with you the agenda changes and that is going to be popular. Interestingly, opposition to Bolsonaro in, in Brazil is uh, in, in some ways overwhelmingly female and, and support for Bolsonaro is disproportionately male. So depending on your demographics, yeah, you're, you're going to have those sorts of things. And I think you're, you're going to continue to have, unless it gets really threatened, you're going to continue to have like very sort of milk toast Republicans from a place like Minnesota as Minnesota continues to get a little bit more like Brazil each day, maybe you get a Bolsonaro type person, maybe you get a DeSantis type person. So we'll just have to see. I, I think as long as those processes are ongoing, you're going to have new kinds of politician, new kinds of public leadership. That's one direction. The other one is sort of private or what kinds of authority backfill a place of increasing chaos. Do you want to talk about public politicians before I talk about that. No, I think that's, you go that direction. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, do it. Yeah. So I think when you get increasing chaos, right, you, you have, you just have a larger and larger gap between, okay, what actually determines how my everyday life is and 
what do the people that are on the TV or on the screen or, or even, you know, actually governing the country, like how much does that affect me? So those often informal or emergent forms of authority or power or order, those I think become increasingly important. And this is the role that I see for, you know, probably basically everybody that, that listens to this show. And we've talked about this in terms of groups and people said, well, what if I don't have a group or what if my group is like this? And that's, that's kind of one aspect of that question. Like, where do we go from here? Another aspect of that question is that I don't really think we go anywhere without strong men. And I mean that like for men generally, wherever they are, whatever job they hold, whatever they do in their free time, if they are not themselves and if they fail to display capacities or of decisiveness of leadership, even within a very small sphere, if that doesn't happen, then we will continue to be governed by increasingly distant and even malicious authorities. Because like we said, you're not going to be able to get away from having a father. The question is, will the father govern the family or will the county, you know, public health authority govern the family. Will you will bow the father... to the unjust right. father or will you stand up and be a just father? And, yeah, right. And, and that's really the question. That's really the question. And so I think that that's something that you will increasingly see because the norms by which everything else operates, as those continue to collapse, the question you're going to get is, okay, well, what replaces them? What forms of authority are going to govern us if I if I have no trust in the screen or I have no trust in other things. And this is where I see somebody, to me, somebody like Bolsonaro, or even in our case, DeSantis is sort of a hopeful figure. And by that, I don't mean like, I love everything they do, or I love everything they say. I mean that long after <laughs> a place or a group has descended into assorted forms of chaos, there, is, there are ways to come back or to begin to build anew. I think, however, those ways are completely contingent on the kinds of people, not just that we're dealing with, but even more than that, that we personally are. And if we aren't a kind of person that is reliable or decisive or understands the difference between legitimate and legitimate authority, then we won't survive. I mean, that, if you don't want to be a great man, uh, you're going to die in squalor, ignominy, and shame. You want to be a great man. And sadly, the liturgy of demoralization has stripped that spirit out of most of us. That's why we're talking. That's why we're listening. That's why we got a guy like you, Dr. Kuntz, who's young and has got his finger on it. I think you're still hungering for it yourself. But when you speak about it, uh, some of us who are older than you by a good, you know, 15, right? We're like, that's... <laughs> this is the problem. This is what I can't find. I keep looking above me for the guy who says, follow me. And I can't, where are you? Come on, man, step up. Uh, <laughs> instead, what I see is bowing the knee to Baal. Oh, we're a secular show. Bowing the knee to Mammon. Bowing the knee to um, uh, just whatever. Whatever seems yeah. easy. And then the conviction to stand on a scruple, let alone the one we say we're a church body about. You know, that's local for us. But like, let alone that. Uh, yeah. it, it just... How long can men who will not be honest with each other stand together against a horde of men whose honesty at least says we're hungry, let's go get food? Yeah. And you can tell that the real problem is the weakness of men because you can tell that the thing that bothers the media most about somebody like Bolsonaro is not 
any specific policy about how they should run the Brazilians, Brazil's version of the Bureau of Indian Affairs or how the Navy should be equipped with nuclear submarines or not. What really bothers them is how he is <laughs> and that he says what he thinks and that he wants order above all things rather than some sort of uh, permissive chaos. Right. That's but what bothers them most. A strong man bothers the left most, and this should be highly illustrative. Uh, before you get to your point about how that means they want chaos, there is something uh, anti-paternal. I wish yep. I had a better word for paternal, though. It is anti-natural orderly. It is anti the way we actually are. And yeah. it says we're not a religion, but golly, does it sure act like one. And it keeps yeah. pushing, pushing here. I had another, uh, at least one more question for you or one more point. Ah, this is mm -hmm. it. So can you hear this, Dr. Kuntz? Don't need a mask. The mask is about compliance because they know Canadians like to do what they're told. So they tell you you have to wear a mask. Next, they're going to tell you you have to contact trace. Then they're going to tell you you have to take the vaccine. And because Canadians like to do what they're told, they're hoping that everyone just complies. And then guess what, kids? Once you take your vaccine, like a dumb person that doesn't know any better, they're going to tell you, sorry, the vaccine isn't as effective as we thought it was going to be. So now you still got to wear your mask, still got to get contact traced, still have all the restrictions and social distancing, and still take your vaccine. And then what did you get out of all of this? You got a whole year where you weren't allowed to travel. Your business was closed. They took your rights and freedoms. They forced the vaccine on you. And what happened? The same amount of people died. Everything is the exact same. And now they're going to put you back on lockdown and bring it all the way till July of next year so they can do the same thing again. Bring you from July, August, and September, getting you off lockdown, but just to bring you back on lockdown again. If you idiots haven't figured it out yet, it's a perpetual cycle that you never get out of. And it's a way to take your rights, your freedoms, close your business, take your wealth. Why? So you become dependent on government. Why? If you're independent, the government works for you like it's supposed to. If you depend on the government to give you a paycheck to feed your family every month because they closed your business on you, now the government doesn't work for you. The government rules you. So instead of a middle class, we have the government, upper class, and the lower class dependents that rely on the government to survive. In other words, we have a slave class, and that's what they're trying to do. It's that simple. So do you want to talk about why that was insightful, maybe who that guy is and why, I don't know, where, where you find your news, all that kind of comes out of this a little bit. <laughs> I, I found it undoubtedly on some anonymous Twitter account generally devoted to arcane Central Asian history or something but saying that this guy predicted it all originally. And what the guy is able to discern is that public actions are not taken for the reasons given. And this is, this guy is kind of doing the flip side of what I talked about with Minnesotans and masks in the last episode, which is, if I'm lamenting what they do to people who are trusting and conscientious and helpful, um, like I said, better human beings than myself, something I find utterly reprehensible is the manipulation that is involved in taking people's natural instincts of trust, people who are not <laughs> natural enjoyers of, uh, you know, Jair Bolsonaro quotes as a, a horrible person like myself is. And they weaponize that trust 
that obedience, that helpfulness, and turn it into a capacity for control. And the guy is actually able to identify not just that this happens as sort of like a function of media and how media is interrelated with goals of political control, but that what's going to happen is that because it means that your operation of everyday life in which you generate the capacity to sustain a life on your own has been suspended, you now will remain dependent upon them for livelihood, not just for you know, your information, right? So media, ecology, information, all that kind of stuff is really just instrumental ultimately to the goal of making sure that your sense of biological well-being, that's kind of the deepest, sickest psychological part of this, but also economic existence is dependent on the government's say-so. And he believes that this is going to operate in a cycle where they'll open up when it gets nice, and a lot of economy, especially in kind of a tourist or service heavy economy is dependent on the summer being open and then they'll close it back down if they need to, which would go along with Klaus Schwab's, that's our great reset guy at the World Economic Forum, assertion before 2020 that something like this, something like this would require a couple of years at least. So we're, we would be in year two of maybe three in that case. And the gym bro who was thinking straight because he probably just doesn't have time to watch TV or to look at his phone because he's, you know, because he's just lifting. And I mean, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. Do his his boss, man. He was huge. I'm like, wait, huge guy. He's talking like a man who sits and reads, but he not look like one. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was Myron. I mean, he was he's, he's done well for himself, but he he's able to identify that really this is about control. And so you don't need all the articles you can actually find from like the Guardian about how bodybuilding makes you more right wing (laughs) in order to understand that this guy has picked up on a lot of things. I mean, testosterone uh, does seem to be the problem. Strong men, I mean, all this. And this is something that I really think has to, even if you're not a spiritual person, you got to see kind of the cosmic significance, the swing of the pendulum, if I can say it that way, of the feminine in our society at the moment that it has gone far beyond any claim to egalitarianism far beyond any claim to having been abused in the past. So now we're going to rectify it. And it is straight up hating the masculine and attempting to destroy it on a a zeitgeist kind of level. And if you're not aware of that, wake up brother, wake up. Yep. You got it. Because what you're what's happening with socialism, communism, Marxism, whatever label this leftism has, is that it wants to destroy the existence of someone, anyone who would or could provide not only for himself, but for others, because that is really the only way to be free. Hmm. The religion of dependence. Before we go, anything else? Nope. We've done so much Bolsonaro. There's, there's more to say, but I would just end up laughing hysterically as I was reading out quotes. So I think we'll, we'll stop here. Is that kind of like, I mean, I had to rely on Shapiro to get this info, but he told me about when the, when the um, eclipse happened and like they take Trump outside and they're talking to him and they're like, okay, so Mr. Trump, whatever you do, don't look at the eclipse. And the first thing he did was look straight at it. You know, nothing between <laughs> it, just straight at it, right? Something, there's something profoundly masculine, boyish even, 
boyish right right yeah. about yeah, that diff- and yeah, stupid right. stupid uh, you know uh, immature maybe misdirected yeah. but um yeah. beautiful beautiful in its own way you need a little more of that from time to time uh a brief history power two white guys you know where to find us or you wouldn't be here